If you want to secure your retirement on your own terms, you need to go beyond conventional financial strategies. Stick around. We'll introduce you to new perspectives for enhanced wealth creation and protection. Now, on to our podcast, Beyond Conventional, with Joe Beyond-Olilo. Hello and welcome to podcast number two with Beyond Financial. Today we're going to be talking about the six universally accepted financial myths with president and founder Joe Beyond-Olilo. So, Joe, you're about to blow some people's minds here today, aren't you? Yeah, it's... We're about to unveil the truth. <laughs> well, I love the truth. The truth is why we do podcasts like this. So let's just dive right in. Tell us what myth number one is. Oftentimes, we're exposed to so much misinformation. And oftentimes, it happens when we're not even expecting it. We're watching television. We're reading the newspaper. We're listening to podcasts. And we hear financial strategies that we automatically take as, as factual. And common day is if you could, if it's on Google, it's real. It, it's, it, mm-hmm. it has to be true. So we're often misguided. And oftentimes when we sit with clients, we realize that many of their preconceived notions of how financial strategies work is really surrounded around many of the myths um, or the things that they've, they've read and been informed about. Mm-hmm. One common myth that, and there's no specific order. Uh, just so you understand that it's not one's more important than six. They're just generalized. But generally speaking, uh, one thing we are constantly speaking with clients about is the fact that most people think they're going to be in a lower tax bracket in retirement. Have you have you heard that? Uh, yeah, Joe, I have heard that. And, and I'm kind of surprised that you're referring to that as a myth. Why why is that a myth? The The reality of it is in order for you to be in a lower income tax bracket than you currently are today, what does that really mean? One of two things. It means tax law is going to change, and if, you're a, if your income stayed the same, the effective tax rate would go down. And I think based on where we're currently at, um, that's not something that most people would agree with is a reality once they think about it from that context. Sure. Okay. The second way the lower tax bracket would occur would be that if you had less income in retirement, then it's, it's so funny because people go from being excited about being in a lower tax bracket in retirement. Once they understand what that really means, they start to be upset about it because you're going to have less money in retirement if that statement is true. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's really in my opinion, a recipe for financial disaster. The goal should not be for you to have substantially less money in retirement. It should be for you to be able to maintain your level of lifestyle. As a matter of fact, like we tell people, if you look at your general week, weekdays, weekends, traditional work week of working during the week, on the weekends is when you're off. The weekends when you're not working, and it's typically been our experience, then that's when people spend the most amount of money, mm-hmm. right? Saturdays and Sundays. When you retire, every day is Saturday. So, <laughs> So, so, so the objective is not to spend less and have less. It's to spend more and have more. Hmm. And the reality of it is taxes are one of, if not the most dangerous wealth eroding factor that we have. Mm-hmm. Tax laws are uncertain. Right now we're in the lowest income tax environments that our country's ever been in. And there's a possibility that many of the folks that we work with will be at the same income, if not the higher income tax brackets when they retire. Sure. So rather than the common solutions of tax deferrals and different financial products that could result in more taxation in the future, 
we want to focus on strategies with clients that could really have them having a retirement income that's more certain. Now, hold on here. What what I'm hearing you say then is counterintuitive to what we're told about 401ks too. You know, the two of them oftentimes, Matt, will go into one another mm-hmm. because the, the purpose of 401ks um, are, are that they have disadvantages. There are certainly advantages, but oftentimes when individual make financial decisions on 401ks, they're deferring income thinking they'll pay less money in tax yeah. on that money as a result of it. Right. In our research, shows that that's just not simply the case in most circumstances. So is that so? That's myth number two, right? Myth number two is is about four hundred one ks, and I think you just opened a can of worms there that we need to unpack a little bit more. There's there's no doubt about it. Some common myths that people will give you on why they want to put money into pre tax retirement savings is they think they're saving money in tax. Mm-hmm. You know, we've heard people say that they pay no tax on the growth of the accounts, un, unless it's a Roth IRA. That is not the case. Mm-hmm. Uh, people do believe that they'd be in a lower tax bracket when they're in retirement. And, it, and it's it's funny because it all goes back to our current tax code and where we lay uh, with the current taxation of, of ordinary income. That might be a truth if you were deferring taxes during the Jimmy Carter administration in mm-hmm. the 1970s. Yeah, right. Uh, taxes were a heck of a lot higher at yep. that point of that. That would have actually been ingenious tax planning where you're deferring all of your income in the 1970s and then pulling it out in the mid-2000s with a lower tax bracket. Oftentimes, people also contribute to 401ks because it's a forced savings. The money's coming right out of their check. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and they're almost excited about the fact that it'll be their biggest asset in retirement. Uh, what they're not factoring in is is we like to call their partner on their retirement plan which is the fact that they're going to pay a substantial amount of taxation on that account upon distribution. Mm-hmm. Now, you just talked about something being the 401k potentially being their largest asset, but myth number three absolutely pertains to what people really, a lot of people think is their largest asset, which is which is their home. How is there a myth involved with home ownership and mortgages and things like that? If you ask the average person based on what they've been told, common conventional wisdom would tell you that a 15-year mortgage costs less than a 30-year mortgage. Mm -hmm. And typically a home mortgage, Matt, is the largest expense a family will have over their lifetime, Mm -hmm. right? Um, And quite frankly, mortgages provide substantial tax benefits, and oftentimes it allows people to buy things they wouldn't have been able to buy without utilizing that leverage. Mm -hmm. The common misconception of a 15-year mortgage costing less than a 30 well, the thought process is pretty simple, that by prepaying your mortgage, which essentially is what you're doing on a 15-year mortgage, you're paying less money because you're paying the interest in a shorter period of time. Sure. So people begin to think that they'll have more home equity than if they had a 30-year mortgage because they're sending extra money to the mortgage company. When you begin to analyze this a little bit more closely, what you begin to realize is that the actual cost of the mortgage, and if you're factoring in everything, which is kind of what we want to do when we're looking at things at 30,000 feet, is the costs are very similar. Now, I know this is a paradigm shift for what most people are accustomed to thinking, but the myth is often that homeowners will make financial decisions that are always going to be in their best interest because that's what they hear. But your home is going to increase in value the same, whether you have a 15-year mortgage or a three-year mortgage. Mm-hmm. Fair. 
Okay. Your, your, your appreciation does not change. So the real question then becomes where is the savings? And the savings lies not in the appreciation of equity but in the cash flow. Okay. Where is the difference being realized as far as what's going in your pocket? And by holding a 30-year mortgage, the owner of that home actually puts himself in a better financial position if you're looking at it from a perspective of liquidity and controlling your money. See, having a longer mortgage is going to result in you having more cash flow today. Sure. That cash flow could be utilized for financial opportunities, which you then can save. So that added cash flow can be used. I'll give you a, a couple of examples. You okay. can use that money to, to protect the homeowner from external factors. Mm -hmm. For example, um, maybe the homeowner has unsecured debt, credit card debt. He's paying 15 or 20 interest. He can use that cash flow savings <laughs> to pay down that interest, that debt. They might have potential deficiencies in disability protection. Whereas if they weren't able to work for a long period of time because of a sickness or an illness, they wouldn't be able to make those mortgage payments. Mm -hmm. That difference in payment might be able to give them that income protection. Maybe life insurance protection to be able to continue to pay for that home if the main breadwinner or one of the household incomes is no longer there. Mm -hmm. Or even insufficient savings. Alternatively, one thing we constantly run up against is either an executive turning into a business owner or a business owner being out of work for some time or people not having the cash flow that they would desire. If that happens, we always want to promote a position for clients where they're in a position of financial strength mm -hmm. and they have the maximum amount of control of their money. And the 30-year mortgage will allow them to do that in a much stronger position. Which leads us right into myth number four, which does have to do with cash flow. So let's talk about myth number four, please. A common misconception is that in order for you to have more protection today, that you'll have to have less cash flow today. Because more protection typically means that it's going to be an increased cost to have that additional protection. And it's been our understanding through our research that that's not necessarily the case. See, we're in an environment where we're always focusing on keeping low deductibles on auto and homeowners policies so you have low out-of-pocket costs. Mm -hmm. When for most of the folks that we work with, the cash flow of a low deductible isn't as important as the overall protection of maybe the liability sure. in the event of a lawsuit. Well, you get what you yeah. pay for on that, right, Joe? I mean, if I have cut-rate auto insurance, and if I get into an accident, I'm not going to have the level of protection because I didn't buy that level of protection. Am I, am I right there or? Essentially, yes. We're more so talking about what the cost of that is. So if you have a, a $500,000 liability limit on your automobile insurance and your deductible is $500 or $1,000, your protection is the same. Th what changes is how much you're paying the insurance company. Mm -hmm. And your insurance out-of-pocket cost is actually less if your deductible is higher. So it's a savings. What you have to pick up for that is self-insuring for the first $1,000 of loss instead mm. of the first $500 of okay. loss. Okay, okay. The folks that we work with, it's typically in their best interest to self-insure for a greater, smaller amount and use that premium savings to give them greater liability protection and essentially build a moat around the castle that they're trying to build. All right. Well, I like so, that. I like the moat. It, That's really smart. That's a good – that makes a lot of sense. It's increased protection. Yeah. And life is uncertain. Man, you got me thinking about this stuff. Uh, I should be asking you more. <laughs> I should be asking you more questions. Okay, well, let's talk about myth number five because that was myth number four. What do you got for number five? The, the fifth myth is the miracle of compounding interest. 
this is like 101 to financial strategies is you invest money and you just allow it to continue to compound. And, you know, you, I'm sure you've seen that nice mountain chart before. Oh, yeah, Matt, totally. Where, you know, it takes time to build. And then when it gets momentum 20 or 30 years from now, it just kind of skyrockets up to the sky. Mm-hmm. We've all seen it. It's probably the most well-known piece of conventional wisdom when it comes to financial strategies. And at face value, it seems like it makes a ton of sense. I mean, there's plenty of advantages. You earn more money the longer your money compounds, presuming you're making money, of course. Mm -hmm. And towards the end of that mountain chart, it, it sort of compounds in an exponential manner. But by just looking at that mountain chart or that yield curve, you're not telling the whole story because there's pressures against that yield curve or an iceberg under the water, which is, as you know, is much larger than what you see. Yeah, totally. And, you know, it's, it's interesting. In my preparation for, for putting some of these articles together, I, I Googled because, you know, we know that's the facts. <laughs> compounding interest charts. Yeah. Not one compounding interest article that comes up on the first page of Google shows Anything about the forces that play against the compounding, they only talk about the compounding, hmm. which is kind of misleading. I would agree. Right? Um, and, and by the way, most of those compounding interest calculations are put out by investment companies. Sure. And they're trying to make you see the upside, which is certainly there. But let's talk about some of the downsides. Okay. Let's talk about some of the, the, the pressures, right? If, if you're investing and you're earning a 6 or 7% rate of return – what are some of the things we need to talk about to really identify what the result of that rate of return is going to be? Fair. Well, what I are mean, some of the pressures? Well, I, I'm immediately going to go, I can only think of really two, which would be taxes, right? Which we already talked about with the 401ks and, and then inflation, right? We all have to be paying attention to inflation. Our, my dollar in 20 years is not going to be worth what my dollar is today. Am I on track there? There's no doubt. Taxes, again, going back to the biggest eroding factor. So whether you're compounding interest and dividends inside of a qualified or a non-qualified plan, taxation is going to impact the overall bottom line number. Mm -hmm. In addition to that, there's inflation. There's no doubt. Most companies or most individuals invest, whether it's 401ks or traditional investment accounts, they have management fees. There are commissions and fees that are charged for services rendered for the advice that you're receiving from your advisors and there's nothing wrong with it it does need to be calculated into what your overall picture is going to be mm -hmm. you know I'll, I'll give you a quick example Matt when I speak to clients who are business owners they typically get this scenario very simply when you look at a mountain chart you pick in some fake rate of return of six or seven percent based on past performance and you assume you're going to see that every single year for the next 30 years which is how you get that result and when you look at that end result 40 or 50 years from now, the way I really make the analogy is I say, well, Mr. Client, you're, you're a business owner. And every year at the end of the year, you have to report your gross revenue to the Internal Revenue Service. Those are your gross sales. Is that how much money you make? And they all kind of look at me a little funny and they say, no, Joe, that's my gross profit. Mm -hmm. I said, okay, so that's, that's how much money you're bringing in. What comes out of that money that you're bringing in? And they go through the laundry list of what it costs them to run their business, which typically is things like taxes and salaries for employees, uh, supply costs, rent, mortgage payments, health insurance costs, 
insurances, all the operating expenses of a business. And when we get down to the bottom line number, it's been our experience that the gross profit, generally speaking, is a far less number. The gross profit's a far greater number than what the actual net profit is. Oh, yeah, I, absolutely. As a business owner, I'm right there with you on that. What people need to realize when it comes to their money is it's no different. Huh. When you're, when you're earning a rate of return, that is your gross profit. You then need to look at what the costs, lost opportunity costs, and erosionary components of that gross profit is from a rate of return mm -hmm. to get what your net number actually is. And that'll put you more in line of where you'll be in the future, and it'll be a more realistic solution for you to base your theories on. Now, myth number six is something that I have heard from from actual friends of mine. They will use words like, well, I'm self-insured. And all that always really bothers me. So when I read myth number six, and, and by the way, everybody who's a listener to the show today, the Joe actually wrote a paper. There's a white paper that's available on the website, and he'll, he'll give some more information on that toward the end. And so you'll be able to look at this white paper that was written, and he, he fleshes a lot more of this out. So all of these, I think, are not necessarily just mind-blowing, but mind-expanding. I mean, you're challenging our paradigms here, but number six is one I hear, Joe, all the time. So break that down for us. We're often told that we don't need, which is a common word in the financial strategies business. Mm -hmm. As a matter of fact, we, we try to decontaminate our clients and not let them use that word. We never want to meet people's needs. We want to exceed their wants. And we're often told you don't need life insurance in retirement. Mm -hmm. It's another conventional myth. Um, we're told that the main purpose for life insurance is to replace one's income should they die prematurely. And there is no doubt that that statement is true. Yep. The second piece of it is where people often get lost. Okay. You see, when retirement arrives, it's assumed that the kids are out of the house and the home is paid and you've got a big 401k balance. And the main reason for purchasing life insurance is behind you. Hmm. So conventional financial thinking would have you think of canceling the insurance policy, which, by the way, you've just paid premiums on for 20 or 30 right. years and right. is worthless. Yeah. That's a... Lost opportunity costs. Yeah, absolutely. It's also assumed that the life insurance is not needed for folks who are financially stable. And it's not needed for wealthier people who can self-insure, similar to what you had just said. Uh-huh, uh-huh. But when, when you really look at the, the science behind the whole strategy, the benefit of having permanent insurance that's paid for in your retirement, it actually allows you to leverage that future value certain, which is that death benefit. You see, Matt, if you know you have a $1 million death benefit mm -hmm. of permanent insurance, it might give you the ability to spend other assets that you have in a much more accelerated manner, knowing that upon your death, that life insurance is going to replace that asset tax efficiently. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? It totally makes sense. And that's why, and I love how you wrote this section in this white paper and how you're explaining it, because it really does shed some light on something that I think people are just flat out in the dark, Joe. It's kind of boring. It's certainly not sexy. Um, but it's important, would, right? I mean, there's no doubt. Yeah, there's 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 no doubt. Um, the reality of it is having permanent insurance could give retirees the confidence to take advantage of alternative distribution strategies, mm -hmm. knowing that the cash flow or income they spent will be replaced. And that's just an economic certainty. 
because it's permanent. It's there, assuming it's paid for, mm-hmm. and there's no increase in costs as time goes on. So properly structured insurance is certainly the key to this overall element. Various strategies could give them the ability to take on potentially even less risk with their investment portfolios, mm-hmm. leveraging the fact that they've got a, a, the proper type of life insurance in place. Yeah. Could you walk us back through all six, and then um, I'm sure people are going to stay tuned to see how uh, we're going to continue to unpack all of these ideas. Sure. So just listing them in order, the six universally accepted financial myths that we feel are inefficient, ineffective, and ultimately costing people a tremendous amount of their wealth are myth number one, which are you'll be in a lower income tax bracket in retirement. Myth number two is – specifically regarding to qualified retirement plans and the fact that most people love their 401k and it's 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 they want everyone to love the 401k it's almost like you're you're not you're not included in the in the party if mm-hmm. you don't have the 401k because everybody has them mm-hmm. so that that makes it the right thing to do myth number 3 is that a 15 year mortgage costs less than a 30 year mortgage and yes that that is a myth uh, myth number 4 is that in order to have more protection today, you'll have to have less cash flow. There will be an additional cost. And myth number five is the miracle of compounding interest, which could wind up being more of a miracle for the financial institutions than for the person involved with it. And lastly, myth number six that we wrote about in this paper was the fact that we're told you don't need life insurance in retirement. Those are the Six universally accepted financial myths. All right, Joe, can you give everybody the website so they can download this white paper? Sure. So the, the website is www.beyond, that's B-I-O-N-D, financial.com. Fantastic. Joe, thank you very much for your time today. Matt, thank you. We appreciate it. Guardian, its subsidiaries, agents, and employees do not provide tax, legal, or accounting advice. Contact your tax, legal, or accounting professional regarding your individual situation. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not to be construed as tax, legal, or investment advice. Although the information has been gathered from sources believed to be reliable, please note that individual situations can vary. Therefore, the information should be relied upon only when coordinated with individual professional advice. Guest speakers and their firms are not affiliated with or endorsed by PAS, Guardian, or Beyond Financial, and opinions stated are their own. Guardian, its subsidiaries, agents, and employees do not provide tax, legal, or accounting advice. Consult your tax, legal, or accounting professional regarding your individual situation. By providing this content, the Guardian Life Insurance Company of America and your financial representative are not undertaking to provide advice or make a recommendation for a specific individual or situation or to otherwise act in a fiduciary capacity. Joseph Biondalillo is a financial representative of the Guardian Life Insurance Company of America, Guardian, New York, New York. Beyond Financial is not an affiliate or subsidiary of Guardian. California Insurance License Number 0I32947. Arkansas Insurance License Number 1281376. Submission Number 2023-151744 expires 03-2025.